welcome to a very festive episode of Standard Deviation Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At least half of us are festive. I'm, I think I'm festive, festive for both of us right now with this. It's not for yeah, but you, no, but you actually look like you run into a crime scene with those police lights. <laughs> 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 it's it's i'm not i'm not sure if that's festive it, it looks kind of like brutal like some assault happened and well this is is that's christmas in romania right exactly like police police cars everywhere i know you're lucky i closed my window because you were you would have heard it but at least yeah. i have look the the christmas starbucks cup so that's true i, I have that's something true. i have something that's Shout very starbucks that's very festive this. Yes, we are here, Simo, in the last episode of 2023 of Standard Deviation Podcast, probably episode 16 or 15, it depends. We'll see at the end. I'll I'll, I'll edit this afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you feel, Simo, after a full year of talking to all the smart people? Um, Yeah, I feel good. It's been a good year. Uh, We've had some really cool guests um a, a lot of crazy stuff going on in our industry always kind of fun fun things to talk about um also very exhausted <laughs> like, yeah, i know right not, not from the podcast but just from this year like um this is i guess many people share this sentiment that for some reason when the year is about to end we get we tend to get pretty exhausted so yeah. um but it also means that like if you're exhausted at the end of the year it means that you've actually done something so i, I i'm kind of happy about that as well but yeah, I'm really looking forward to a small break over the Christmas. Oh yeah, me too. Christmas holidays. I I took a vacation first time this year for three weeks. Oh nice. I'm not gonna do anything because people were like, "Oh, where are you going? Nowhere. Just want to nice. stay with my kids and Staycation. bake cookies. Staycation yeah. and bake cookies. Yeah. Actually, let's talk about you know you would be. Uh, do you know which was our most listened to episode overall? What was have it? You, have you been ever curious? Actually, the most downloaded episode we had so far, when I'm looking at this right now, I'm not going to tell people the dates because I don't speak about that. Um, so today, the most downloaded episode, it's Mbap, the marketing mix modeling episode with Mr. Jim Janolio. <laughs> yeah. Well deserved. Well deserved, right? Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. And then the second one, was the uh, episode that we had with uh, Julius Fedorovichus. And then the third one was the one with Talia Wolf, Truth Bombs. Very, very unexpected, right? Like, I didn't know. I didn't know it's going to be like this. But this is our top three episodes for this year. And uh, thank you, all of you guys, for coming and dropping and blessing us with downloads and likes. Almost at 10,000 downloads for this year, Simo. That's pretty cool. I know because we, cool. we we suck at promoting this podcast. I've been told like I'm getting pitched a lot about not putting the podcast out there that much. So people were like, "Why are you not promoting the podcast that much?" Because I'm yeah. fucking busy. That's why. Yeah, marketing is difficult. Like especially when you market your own stuff, it's yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking because next year. We're still doing this together next year, I hope, at this moment. We'll we're, see. We'll, we'll see, see what happens today. Like <laughs> today. The, the, Those Christmas lights are almost like putting me off, but but yeah. We'll, I'll we'll, take we'll them see. off if you want. And we'll, and we'll see what happens with our guest because he's a known troublemaker. And if he if he kind of, if, if he starts stirring some stuff up, I'm, 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 we're just not going to come back next year. We're just going to, we're going to close shop. To be he, discussed. He could, he could do that. Yeah, he could do that. <laughs> Then maybe you and him can do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that would be horrible. That would be like my worst nightmare. 
cool. But he's a nice guest. Anyway. He is. He is. He's a sweetheart. But I, I actually cannot unsee the police cars. I might have to unplug this stuff right now. Because <laughs> now, now I cannot unsee it. Hold up. Hold up. Let me. Oh, oh I cannot unplug them. Yes, this is good television, everyone. Okay. So, uh, Simo, before we just talk to our distinguished guest, I want to talk a bit about what about technical marketing. I know you have something coming on right now from Simor, but I had an interesting conversation with Timo Deschaux that was also a guest in our podcast that was talking about technical marketing with him earlier. And he asked me, what does technical marketing mean for you? And uh, I'm actually thinking a lot about that because everyone has their own definition about technical marketing. Like, in, And I want to hear a lot about what you have to say because you're building this huge ass one-on-one course for people mm. that want to, you know, acquire these technical skills and do a better job in, you know, in their marketing, uh, in their marketing field. But I was thinking, like, the only reason I identify myself today as a technical marketer is because you started this whole technical marketing conversation. And it's not Mm. me kissing your ass right now because I want you to still do the podcast with me, or maybe. But um, no, seriously, I think, in my opinion, and I see this a lot with the people that listen to the podcast that come and that, you know, are kind enough to like engage with us is that the technical marketer is somebody that stays in the middle of product, in the middle of development and data and marketing and sales, and is able to clearly and fluently communicate all these teams, understand the information and is able to, you know, build strategies, build, you know, different tactics that they can, you know, improve their products, improve their, you know, their jobs and their revenue and so on. So that's how I identify myself, you know, like somebody that can speak with a data scientist, with a developer, with somebody from UX, with SEO, be able to have a fluent mm. conversation and still do what I do. So what is technical? Like, because you started this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what well, is it? Well, you know, we're trying to figure that out. I mean, the very first chapter in the technical marketing handbook is going to be like, what is technical marketing? And I don't think we've pinned it down yet. Yeah. So like, so... For me, everything started when I started thinking, what is a non-technical marketer? Because that's something that people tend to be kind of proud about. You know, I'm, I'm a non-technical marketer, so I don't do this stuff. Yeah. And then I started looking at what don't they do when they say they're non-technical. So things like coding, um, you know, optimizing um, content for certain types of HTTP requests, um, optimizing networks, cloud engineering, data engineering. So it, it kind of, if, if I had to pin it down, like, the description you gave about this kind of universal translator between all these different, I think that's more like for a, for any digital marketer that they should be in that position because digital marketing itself is like a horizontal discipline. You need to know the product, you need to know your audiences, you need to know your company, you need to know your sales strategies, everything. So I, I would like for a, anybody who calls themselves a digital marketer, I would like for them to be that person and not just a technical marketer. But the person who who would say that they're a technical marketer would probably be the one who goes deeper into things that tools themselves don't you know do for you because there are no code solutions out there. There are um, applications built on cloud stacks, so you don't actually have to do any cloud engineering, but you're still working with it. Um, and I think that the, a technical marketer is more about your ambition in how you are interested in knowing what happens under the hood, what happens under those abstractions. So I think it's more like a mindset in your approach. Um, just as an example, like um, instead, 
of learning SQL and running queries in BigQuery, you use a query builder or like a, um, an analytics interface like GA4 even, or, or anything that does the querying for you under the hood. Or instead of, um, you know, instead of building uh, a server-side tagging pipeline, you click the auto-provisioning option in the GTM UI and have it build the pipeline for you. So there, I think, is the difference. If you're a, if you're a kind of not the most technical marketer or, or just a digital marketer, you would be happy with those solutions. But as a technical marketer, I think you're more interested in diving beneath those abstractions and working with the actual. But it's 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 just a totally arbitrary label in the end. Like this is just semantics, and when we, yeah. especially marketing and content creation, like people love creating labels mm. and debating them endlessly. And I think that. For us at Simmer, it was a conscious way to carve a niche for us because we don't want to do like marketing content for digital marketers. We don't, don't want to do that because then we would be doing like, this is a GA4 for beginners. This is, you know, um, Data Studio for beginners, something like that. We want to go deep diving into the technical stuff. Um, and then it's, you know, for for some content is very easy to say that this is technical. JavaScript yeah. for digital marketers, that's obviously a technical course because you're coding. Um, but for other other content, um, it's it's not going to be that clear and that easy to say. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun topic to talk about, but ultimately there is no <laughs> there is no resolution. Like anybody can can choose whatever they want. But with the handbook that we're building, um, we are trying to not take ownership of the term, but maybe make it very very clear what we mean with that, and hopefully. In the future, when people think about technical marketing, they'll think about what Simmer thinks about technical marketing that will be kind of, will have an opportunity to uh, normalize that term in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what we're, we're going for here, but who knows? But it's that's a- very important because I think in a way, once this whole technical marketing thing started with the mini degree that you did like years ago, it's just, I think a lot of people that were like in a purgatory between actually like I do enjoy actual digital marketing stuff like content like SEO like keyword research I I love Mm. all this stuff but I also don't shy away to dig deep into something if I'm curious like I I have no problems you know like rolling up my sleeves and figure out how Firebase uh, A-B testing works or figure out how to use you know uh, cloud functions but it's like it's very hard for people that are in between these two worlds to find some sort of like, and it's like, I think this labeling thing, it's our, in our human, you know, nature, because we want to belong to a group because we're stronger in groups. Mm. This is like our evolutionary behavior trait that we're stronger in a pack, right? So Mm. I think having this technical marketing, um, I don't know if it's a label, but maybe like this community, it's, it's, it's increasingly big. Like look at, you know, there's people like Timo, like those guys from Germany, Philip and, Uh, I cannot say his last name, but there's a lot of people that do technical marketing, like are in between these two worlds and they need more support, I think, in the terms of promoting this. Like it's, it's, Mm. it's, it's something that for me, when I took the mini degree, I really found like, this is okay. I was like, okay, this is somewhere I can be and like, I'm comfortable with. So there's a lot of people in digital marketing and analytics that just don't know exactly where they belong. So that's yeah. why I wanted to talk about technical marketing. So like one of the main traits that you mentioned is curiosity, right? 
Like you're yeah. constantly curious of what's going on under the hood. Like what are some other traits somebody that can call themselves a technical marketer can have, like for people that are listening? Well, I think that one, when I, actually now that I think about it, one, it might not, like it might not cover all of it, but I think the one quality of technical marketing, the way that I think it, is that you work with technologies with which you can call, create a lot of damage. So it's it's not just about waving your hands because a lot of that. digital marketing, like a lot of digital marketing is about, um, you know, in, innovating and creating and generating ideas and writing briefs and reports and, and maybe using some um, uh, third party tool for building campaigns. But those tools have like built in prevention mechanisms that you can't cause too much damage with. Whereas if you jump into a cloud interface and start putting up a crazy amount of virtual machines, uh, accidentally putting a zero at the end when you choose how many instances you need, you're going to rack up a huge bill and kill your budget. Or, you know, you go into DNS and you accidentally remove your main records from your website and your website no longer works. Or you, you write some JavaScript that breaks your site. You know, you're working with technologies that don't necessarily have these um, like prevention mechanisms. Mm. So I think that's, that's one where I think that when you think about technical marketing, but then there are things like, you know, working with CSS selectors or working with browser tracking prevention mechanisms that we have at Simmer. Um, those aren't that kind. Like you, you can't, well, you can break stuff with CSS, but um, those you are can. more, <laughs> yeah, but, th- but those are, those are similar in that way. Like yeah, they're not course. actually tools of destruction. But, you can um, fix it, yeah, the selector yeah, afterwards if you yeah. mess it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I think that it's it's, it's just like, like working with components and working with constituent pieces rather than some um, turnkey do everything through one interface kind of things. But it's, you know, again, I, I just really want to emphasize that this is just one type of interpretation for two very vague terms. And I'm not going to, you know... S- I'm not going to stuff my interpretation down people's throats. I want people to make up their own mind. But this is one of the reasons why we are, you know, why we are writing the handbook is that we want to, you know, formalize our approach, but never, ever make the claim that it's supposed to be the correct approach. No, for sure. And it's your experience, right? And it's like what you've seen and built. And also, like, I think for Simmer is you guys have access to so many students that share their you know thoughts about mm. different things so i think that can be super you know like helpful for you guys to have like an idea of what expectations are from your students and how do you respond to them i know you don't like feedback yeah exactly i was just gonna say that you, you're forgetting that you're forgetting the fact that i don't listen I don't, to anyone so so you know, it's great to, it's, yeah so it's great that we have like three thousand students but i don't like listen to any of them no no, no. three thousand like, that's insane like if we if we get feedback uh of course it will be uh it will be um, handled appropriately by our customer support function um, and our our R and D department. So we're definitely taking it all in stride. Uh, just as a caveat, because my wife is going to kill me if I keep doing the self-deprecation stuff. No, but I, I it, it, you can see based on the content that also you guys are producing. But I'm I'm thinking like if we look back at this year, like. I think the role of the technical marketer, be it, you know, the interpretation we have or other people have, is that you don't really have any choice but yeah. being a technical marketer, even if you're like right now just like doing, I don't know, you're the head of content, or you're a content manager, or you're doing ads, or whatever you're doing, you have no choice. Because 
I, I don't want to be, and I'm not one of those people that's going to say AI is going to take your job, but AI can really take your job in the sense <laughs> of that, <laughs> like, shit is moving extremely fast. So if people would invest right now in building the technical skills required to use artificial intelligence, and when I say artificial intelligence, I don't mean chat GPT. Just for the record, I, I, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to say that for a long time. But the access right now to artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning, like, is very, very, uh, it's not going to be something that people are desiring. It's going to be expected. So you cannot understand machine learning, artificial intelligence, unless you start from the basic building blocks of the internet as a marketer. Mm. So, like, what I, what, I, what I see right now is that people that will not invest time in building data literacy because a technical marketer does have data literacy. Like for me, that's like, I've been thinking a lot about it in the couple of days I've been experimenting with different types of posts, but to use AI or to, to, to use all these tools and technologies that are coming up every day, you have to have data literacy. So to have data literacy in the, you know, in the internet age, you need to know how the internet works. The, the most basic thing, the most like the, the browser, like exactly as we were speaking earlier, you need to understand things like the browser. You need to understand a bit of JavaScript, a bit of SEO, a bit of everything. Because otherwise, it's very hard to stay competitive as a professional, in my opinion. Like, I do feel the pressure. And I do know, like, I, I think I know a lot of shit. But at the same time, I feel the pressure under my ass right now to constantly, like, learn and improve myself. So, like, for instance, what would you advise people that are digital marketers that, you know, maybe they don't think they're technical, but they are probably because it's in the name, right? Or like mm. analysts, like what would be your advice right now for how they should invest like in this, you know, in their career to stay competitive and just like constantly be able to, uh, you know, keep up? Um, well, so let, let, let me insert my own uh, uh, feedback to some of that. So uh, like... I agree with you that it's if if you want if you want to like stand out and if you want to be competitive in this industry then yes you need to have uh, kind of an insatiable curiosity towards all the new stuff because that's what people are going to be talking about and to understand the new stuff you need to have a good grasp of the old stuff because it's all like it's all turtles it's all turtles one on top of each other I don't think that everybody needs that to work functional to be functional in this industry or even to thrive in this industry i think there's a there's always like it's such a huge industry and there are so many companies and you know you don't have to chase the shiny things uh just to land a job you just have to be really good at what you do and and just industrious and I don't, so I don't want people to stress out about, you know, if you haven't been reading, you know, the, the wolf from alpha, alpha paper on generative AI or anything, like you're not falling off the train, um, you're still fine. And, and you don't have to stress about this stuff. You know, you can take it at stride. But then there's the subset of people who really want to stand out and, and maybe be noticed and, and have like proactively be noticed by others so that you don't have to like even push yourself, but you'll be noticed. Hey, that guy knows what, or she knows what, what, what she's talking about for that group of people. You need that. So I would like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Luddite at heart. Like I've, I, I love looking at the new stuff, but I've been a firm believer that a strong foundation is like key to everything. Absolutely. Everything like it, it doesn't, 
have necessarily have to do with data literacy. It just has to do with understanding what are the building blocks of whatever discipline you're interested in. And, and there's always going to be a lot of literature of what those building blocks are. Yeah. And then learning the terminology and the concepts of those building blocks. Like you have to have that in place. You're not going to be able to work with data engineering or cloud engineering until you understand the collection mechanism. You're not going to be able to work with the collection mechanism until you understand how the browser works. You're not going to be under, able to understand how the browser works until you understand something about networks and exactly, JavaScript yeah. and APIs. So it all kind of ties, ties in together and you can start anywhere. Like if, if you've never done a single technical thing in your life, you could still take a look at like GPTS and build your own little, uh, you know, little assistant tool, feed it information and have it, you know, build a model out of that. That's fine. But at some point you're going to have to start walking backwards step by step so that otherwise you're going to go into those companies and clients and boardrooms or whatever, and you're just going to make a fool out of yourself by talking about things. And then somebody asks you a probing question and you won't be able to answer it because that's when the cart, like the house of cards comes tearing down unless you're yeah. really, really good at talking like some <laughs> consultants can bullshit their way and it's it's just we really like we live in a we live in all these different bubbles yeah. and sometimes it's okay to play the game like that's absolutely fine and some people do a really great job at it they're really great at you know talking about this stuff and selling this stuff and even doing this stuff without understanding how any of that works but that's a separate kind yeah. of skill that requires some innate talent but for the rest of for us sure. who don't have that or who don't want to play that game or who don't want to contribute to those bu bubbles, you just have to start working your way backwards from whatever technology interests you and try to find the building blocks. Like it doesn't mean that you have to start learning like assembler or machine languages. That's not necessarily, that's too far back. You have to know when to start. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even though there's a, there's a, oh, there's, there's such a good book, like for anybody who's interested <laughs> in knowing how a computer works, uh, it's called Code. And we'll add a, add a link. Like it's it's one of the best books I have read, and it it, it starts with oh. like, this is these are Pascal. ones and zeros. Yeah, you know, it just starts with ones and zeros, and it, then it starts building upwards. It's, it you, it builds a, a a basic. It explains Morse code, how that's related to binary. Then it goes into like building these machines. Anyway, it's it's a beautiful book, and we'll add that Let's into link the notes it, because yeah. it's so good. That's a Christmas gift idea for your friendly technical market. It's such a good book. Anyway, to totally off the rails. It's no, really but I think you're right. I think this this is like something that I relate to a lot. Like you don't have to put AI in your headline on, on LinkedIn to be competitive, but foundation. Like this is so important. And just by knowing how things, you know, like where it started and why are they here, this is like the competitive advantage of having the base. And as you said, sure, it's, I was when I was saying data literacy, I was thinking about specifically our field. But all, any field that you are in and you're listening this to is so important to understand how that shit came together and how it works. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that maybe in the next season of uh, Standard Deviation Podcast, we can actually take a lot of these topics and break them down and uh, just just going into deep about, you know, like what are the building blocks of digital marketing and the Internet. So very excited about that. And I know now we're going to have to invite our guest, Simo, but I have the almost perfect, as you said, it's not perfect, the perfect one for uh, for the very festive song for you. There you go. Let's go. 
has a very long build-up. <laughs> I should have thought of that. <laughs> but I just want this guitar. Just, just, yeah. The simmer is coming. Simmer, simmer. <laughs> this, the, the sound quality is just amazing. <laughs> This is this is how low five we are. We need to we need to get our act together next season. Get get uh, Josh Silverbauer to handle our AV for us. Okay, that's it. Merry Christmas, everyone from Team Simmer. Merry Christmas <laughs> from Simmer as well. Yes, yes, we're a technical marketing <laughs> online course platform, and use the code Deviate. That's D E V I A T E to get ten percent off your course purchases at TeamSimmer.com. So check it out. Merry Christmas and let's invite yeah, Santa. Merry Christmas. Big applause. Hey Charles, Santa how are you? Santa is here. If that is your real name. <laughs> I'm terrified that you have a soundboard, but I'm doing it. I do. I should not be allowed to have one. There's all, there's have. actually eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We both have we, soundboards. We're, we're dangerous. We're so advanced with this stuff. So Charles, welcome. This is a, the last episode of the second season of Standard Deviation Podcast. We decided to end this amazing season with you. A lot of episodes, a lot of shit happened this year in uh, digital analytics. So we thought, who is the best person to end this crazy year with? And that was you. And uh, I've been festive now for the beginning of the episode. So for anyone listening, I'm unplugging my lights, the police car lights that Simon made fun of me. And uh, we're we're happy to welcome you. How are you feeling? How are you doing lately? I'm feeling good. As you said, there's uh, no shortage of new stuff going on. So I've been keeping busy. I've actually lately been doing a lot more on the Adobe side than the Google, which has been uh, a bit of a nice refresh for me and also <laughs> fun to explore some some new stuff I've never really done before. Um, but yeah. So so is it is it like... Uh, you know, when you take a break from a relationship to see the relationship with new eyes, with with newfound respect, do you have that with Adobe and GA that you've now, you know, you <laughs> spent time with Adobe and now you now you just can't wait to get back to Google Analytics? Um, you don't have to be politically correct about it, by the way. I need. I, will. Take, I think I needed to take a break from GA <laughs> for a little bit, and I'm not I'm not yet ready to return and go all in. <laughs> <laughs> why not um i think i think for me the struggle is is i mostly focus on working with like enterprise and more kind of mature clients and ga4 it's been amazing an amazing year with new features and updates and all that but it still feels like it's not yet close mm -hmm. to what the finished kind of final polished version looks like. Yep. And that's where uh, a lot of the conversations and, and clients and needs I have, it's constantly about workarounds or using BigQuery or trying to solve all these gaps in different ways. Um, and what I think has really been interesting for me to balance that with is uh, a lot of people don't realize Adobe's actually released the next version of Adobe Analytics. And when I compare and contrast the two of them, they really couldn't be any different from each other and the directions they're going. Um, and that's where, at least right now, I'm having a lot, a lot of fun on the Adobe side. And a lot of it kind of feels like it's bringing back some of what I fell in love with like 10 years ago as I started with Universal Analytics. So I still think like on the GA4 side, that can all happen, but I just yeah. don't know when and I'm just <laughs> waiting. Yeah. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think like, so when you've been working with Adobe, was it a conscious decision to broaden your horizons in the eventuality that GA4 isn't necessarily the one thing to bet on in the future? Because, you know, we've been saying this to our clients when the UA sunset was in the horizon, we've been saying that, you know, shop around, make sure you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, make, make sure you know what the play field is like. Yeah, I wonder if practitioners are are doing the same thing because you know I'm I'm happy to say to clients that you know look around, but I you know haven't done that too much myself. Yeah, maybe I should have. I I mean we were, we were pretty much forced to, and and certain enterprise customers are. So I'll just give like one example. Um, originally when the deprecation timeline was announced, um, everyone obviously had to start moving GA four and preparing for that first kind of deprecation wave. Um, and one of the major limitations that still actually exists today is the measurement protocol is not like mm. fully complete and being able to be standalone. So that actually presents some significant gaps and challenges with tracking like connected TV uh, on Roku's Xboxes uh, and other sorts of devices uh, because you miss all the geographic native device and a bunch of other stuff. So basically what you're kind of challenged with is if you can't actually dual tag or implement in the same way, you have to think of other options. So I actually have had a, a large portfolio of like entertainment and streaming video type clients. And those are some of the first that like started to actually look at real options. And that's where I started to kind of explore uh, and ultimately kind of set on like customer journey analytics from Adobe as like my go-to kind of preferred uh, solution for that. So to your question, it's it's really kind of stems from where those kind of needs and pain points are. Um, and luckily at some point, Google gave the 360 customers like an additional year to move over, mm. but we're still kind of waiting for some of those features. And now the new date is kind of coming up. So yeah, some challenges. What do, you, what do you think is going to happen on, on June 30th, 2024, which is the last day that we'll have access to any of the UA stuff? So I think it's it's going to be really telling in uh, the beginning of next year. So from my perspective, I still think a lot of enterprise customers are actually still using Universal as mm. their tool. And GA4 is still kind of implemented in many cases, but not being used day to day. So Google made some announcements actually, I think in the yeah. last 30 days where they're going to start removing some features from Universal. And it basically indicated that additional functionality might start to disappear between now and June. Um, so as that happens, I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see um, how it plays out. My, my best guess is, is Google's going to get a lot of pressure uh, to accelerate some of the items on the roadmap uh, and release yeah. new features. And I think we saw some of that kind of tailing off the deprecation of the free version. Um, of Universal, and it'll, it'll be hopefully on the 360 version when that happens, we'll start to get more of the enterprise kind of feature set and needs kind of baked in. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be enough? Like, generally, do you think just adding features to 360 is going to be enough to convince people to move to it? Because it's still like an acceleration from zero to, you know, 150k a year, just to get some additional features. So the nice part is on the 360 version, they changed the commercials. So there's actually a mid-market option now. So it's it's actually 50K starting point, not 150K. Um, so that actually makes it a lot more accessible. Um, 
I mean, I just go back to how Universal kind of evolved over time. And if, if anyone remembers or has used the products for a very long time, there used to be a period of time when you would log in and literally like there'd be substantial changes all the time. Like in the middle of your trainings or your workshops, you'd have a new UI or a new feature show up. And there's a little bit of that in GA4, but I don't think we're quite at a place yet where the UI is starting to undergo some kind of massive changes and updates. And just from a user experience, that's where I think some of the major pain points are. Like I still have a, a laundry list of features um, that I, 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 I would like that I think are fairly basic to just do basic yeah. analysis, like percentage yeah. of total or plot rows. And a lot of that's still not there today. So that's where I think it's still a few years from like starting to mm. really feel uh, as, as polished as Universal was for being able to do those kind of day-to-day analysis flows easily without having to rely on Looker Studio or BigQuery or going to some other place uh, to do that kind of workflow. Yeah. And, oh, I, and ironically, of- like the... Sorry. Uh, just go, go, go. one last thought in this. Go, like, go, go. The, ironically, the, the idea of like incremental updates, like small little things, they're the ones that break your, you know, BigQuery schema because it's, it's, it's new columns, new stuff added to those. So like, I, I remember that well, like with Universal Analytics, I think when they did add a lot of stuff, but I think it was always like a, a net positive to get those features. Always like, wow, what's the next cool thing they did? Whereas with GA4, many of the features they add are like, okay, we're, we're, we're approaching like baseline. Just add a couple of more features like that. And it still feels like a lot of it is replicating what is in Universal. Yeah. It's not about like new innovative things no. that are different than what we've ever had before. So like, I think the last release was scheduled emails. Okay, like great. <laughs> like I don't know. So yeah, that, I, I agree with you a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. And I think it's something that not only you did, like a lot of, not even because you said you know like you're working with enterprise, but I also see like small, medium-sized businesses that just got fed up with this whole forced adoption that's happening and not only having to learn a new tool, you have to learn like two tools because you also need to learn BigQuery and you need to learn SQL to properly use GA4 because you cannot use it without. So we see in the market right now, like never before, like another cool thing that happened this year is that the market became more open for other alternative tools. So yeah. we have, you know, the Adobe's, we have the PV Pros, we have the Amplitudes, we have all these other tools that came up so, and you see people, it's like a very big, like how everyone was in the UA community before and everyone was loving UA and sharing flowers and patting each other's on the back. I think a good thing that happened is like the democratization in the community of different tools and access to different tools, but also like all these people that create new tools come with different knowledge and different like, you know, uh, inputs. So what do you guys think about that? Like, that's a big shift that happened this year. Well, I mean, it's it would be a disservice to these vendors to say that they only now just popped up. I mean, they've been yeah, around for but a while. But, but I like, so, so Charles already alluded to how GA4 is still trying to replicate UA. And I think that they're not the only vendor out there just trying oh, to sure. do that. Like there's now a, a, a big hole the size of universal analytics in the market and GA4 isn't doing a good job in patching that. So I think that there are many vendors who used to be product analytics tools, for example, and are trying to solve the marketing analytics problem as well. Amplitude comes to mind first and foremost. So I think there's like a, there's, there's a movement to fill that gap. I don't, it's, 
at the same time, it's cool that we have more options. At the same time, it's kind of discouraging that this is like the level of innovation. Universal yeah, analytics, sure, when yeah. you're looking at it in the hindsight, it's it's not a good tool. Like it's outdated. It had so many problems relying on a data model that was so ancient, you know, and, and immutable. So I would kind of, I would have liked to see that this vacuum that comes from lack of a proper Google Analytics tool would lead to like crazy new stuff and new paradigms being explored. But it just seems to be like same old, same old. So this this is where I get excited because this is where I started. I started looking at Amplitude. I started looking at PWIX and that's exactly what I experienced. Like all of them and all their marketing material, it's all about why we're better than GA. And I, I would encourage everyone to really take a look at what Adobe's doing because what CJA basically is in a nutshell is Adobe took everything that was special or that you know people loved and bragged about Adobe Analytics, its power, um, its customization, its flexibility, and they basically opened up the back end. So uh, on the Google side, we say we have this new event-driven data model, right? And it makes everything better. Well, it does and it doesn't. It's actually not really that flexible. We still have lots mm. of limitations. We can't do arrays. We have to still follow yeah. largely how Google names things. On the Adobe side, there used to be EVARs, SPROPs, all this complicated stuff. Um, but basically, long story short, you can use whatever schema you want. <laughs> You can come up with arrays, schemas, name things however you want. In fact, one of the use cases that I kind of go through is you can actually stick Adobe Launch on top of the Google Tag Manager data layer, ingest it, and then send all that into CJA and basically run it on a Google data layer. You could ne- nice. you couldn't really patch the inverse in the in a very logical, like easy way. And then in addition, like the tool itself, like Adobe and Google's never really had a capability to replay data or uh, batch upload data or um, even stitch da- like historical user level data to a common ID. It's, it's always, in, to your point, Simo, that's been like one of the worst parts of Universal. Like it didn't really mm. do any sort of stitching. Um, so anyways, in the CJA world, like that's the basic functionality. You can batch, you can upload, you can adapt it to any schema. And then in addition, like all the kind of core features in it are fully retroactive. So that's where I feel a lot of that, what made Universal special. Not only can I create views or profiles, what they call report suites that are fully retroactive, but I can even create dimensions that are fully retroactive. So if I want to reclassify my page URLs, I I have this derived field where I can do that on the fly. So for anyone that's that's experienced exactly what you're sharing, where everything's kind of this flavor of a universal alternative, I like what Adobe's doing, and I hope that pushes everyone forward because one of the prime like uh, mottos or uh, product um, uh, points that they're centering around is being able to do analysis without having to do SQL uh, to solve everything. And that's, that's what I like about it. I don't, I don't necessarily know if I align or believe that every marketer needs or uh, should go learn SQL. Like, I don't know SQL. I've gotten this far in my career. I, I feel like I was able to do some, some powerful and meaningful analysis with what I had in Universal. And I've been looking and yearning for uh, something more. I've also been wondering uh, when I should learn SQL. Uh, but for now, at the very least, that's where I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, having a lot of fun with, with this because it's giving me a lot of what I feel like I had on the Google side and I'm waiting for it within GA4. You should still learn SQL, man. Yeah. <laughs> Do it next year. 
Do it. I just, gotta, I just gotta sign up for the course. And you then do. I'm good to go. I'm waiting just, for the Black Friday special. Yeah, it's just double price for you, but that's that's doable. <laughs> and we're we're gonna cut all that Adobe stuff out because we're a, we're a Google positive podcast. Are we? Yes, we are. Yes, for everyone listening. Yes, no, we're we not are. Gonna, that sounded really interesting, actually. That really did. Um, and that's that's the dimension thing. thing. I mean, just real quick, that's the other thing is none of this has to be Google versus Adobe. That's that's the best part about this. I think historically it was always you had to use Google or Adobe and it was competitive. But in this new paradigm that like Adobe's working on, it can very much be complementary. You can mm -hmm. keep GA4. Like G one of the biggest reasons people had to use Adobe in the past was GA actually kicked them off the platform. If you were an enterprise and you had too much data, you violated yeah. the service and they would actually remove you from the platform and force you to an alternative solution. There's still tons of intrinsic value in, and there seemingly will always be in GA4. We have the ads connectors. There's a whole um, uh, shift to, to all Google media, right? That's one of the, the big strengths of that platform. So in this new paradigm, like you could just dual implement. You can even run CJA, again, on top of GA4. Yep. You could feed that BigQuery data. Like that's the thing. It can connect to Azure, BigQuery, Snowflake. So one of those use cases is just sit CJA top of your GA4 BigQuery feed. And now we have content attribution and all these out of the box features that we don't have within GA4 natively. Plus you still have that GA4 implementation for anyone on your team that prefers or needs it or wants it. So that's the other thing that I'm hoping kind of changes in the next year is we get out of it using this platform or this platform. I think with the flexibility Google offers, there's always this hybrid option of it's it's additive, right? It doesn't have to yeah. be one or the other. But I think that that would be a trend I wouldn't mind seeing more of, like having something that sits on top of your data warehouse, like an analysis mm -hmm. analysis layer on top of that, because that that would be like a no brainer. Everybody yeah. everybody's already collecting that data, and you have that with you know Power BI and Tableau to a certain extent. And that and that's where like when I explain like this customer journey analytics, like if I frame it versus the Google world, it's kind of like if Looker Studio and GA4 merged into this mm. new entity, or even take some concepts of like server side and client side GTM and then start to mix that in. So within this, right, we have all this kind of powerful data visualization and reporting capabilities. And then the the solution, it doesn't require any SDKs. We don't have to use a client-side tag. It can sit directly on top of any of the data warehouses that, that you're talking to, Simo, and, and run it. So all these things you're asking for, like that's the direction kind of Adobe's pushing. So historically, like if we just go back to where we kind of started, um, back in like the days of Universal being special, a lot of those features uh, I, that I remember that would come out were like competitive features to what Adobe had, like enhanced mm. e-commerce, um, mm. product level custom dimensions, right? Uh, even the measurement protocol, I, I feel like was 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 a, a combination of that. So hopefully what will happen is again, maybe Google and Adobe will start getting competitive with each other, which results in both products like starting to, to kind of improve um, and not just them, but all the other platforms as well. And it can stop being about like this universal uh, competition, but more, what is this new f next generation kind of platform uh, really should be? Do, but do you think it's? But do you think that the future of this, or do you want the future to be like uh, a patch meal of different stacks rather than just a single vendor locket? Because I think that's what you're describing. 
like in, in the past, if you wanted to do Adobe, you had to buy into the whole stack. If you wanted to Google, you had to buy into the whole stack. Yeah. But now you're describing how you could, you know, like microservice analytics in a way that you have a pipeline and then you have different layers on top that might come from different vendors, yeah. which isn't I mean, unheard of in the data warehousing world at all. But I think that it's now leaking into this turnkey web analytics, online analytics world as well. I mean, I feel like there's always going to be this drive for the stack and the platform, and we're going to continue to see mergers and acquisitions. And I think on the the cloud side, we'll start seeing, like we're already seeing it, like Looker got acquired, uh, Looker got acquired by um, Google, uh, Tableau got acquired by Salesforce. Mm. Um, Salesforce has a partnership, I think, largely with Google Cloud. Adobe has a partnership with Azure or Microsoft. So you're starting to see these different kind of combinations player. But the reality is, like, we also still have these walled gardens, and they're walled mm. for a reason. So for me, I guess I just view it as there's always going to be this bifurcation and this need for multiple things. And everyone's needs and stacks are so different just based on verticals and use cases. And we always, I think, as consultants say, use what is best uh, for, for your use cases. So I, I feel like it's always going to be a little bit of the patchwork, but there's always going to be this drive for centralization and, and different points to, to, to try and further everyone's own stack. I like I a lot what you said. I feel like any of that changes. Go ahead. No, I said that I like, I really like what you said earlier, like, basically forcing all these vendors to think about what is actually the future of web analytics like how does it look like because everyone is talking about the future of analytics so how do you guys think because it's december and we're thinking about 2024 like how do you guys see things going in 2024 like what's the future of, of analytics looking like for you guys from a practitioner perspective but also like from an industry perspective i feel like i'm interviewing both of you this is fun i like that. let's go go ahead sima no it's your turn all right so for 2024 like what do we see happening i i don't i wonder if it'll actually be that much different from 2023 and the reason i kind of share that is there's still this whole level of uncertainty mm. around what the final result of the different uh, sandbox i guess that we're going to be playing in so we still have the third-party cookie deprecation and there's i i was just reading there's rumors last week that it might be punted again but on the flip side, there's lots of things happening that indicate like this time might be for real and they're actually going away. Um, but within that, like I'm seeing, uh, especially within our, our agency business uh, or our media side of our business, there's lots of questions around how these new attribution APIs uh, and the new privacy sandbox Chrome has is going to play and what's going to happen with other browsers that don't follow this. Um, so that's where I think from just going back to like basic marketing use cases, if we layer that in with increasing like legislation and privacy um, and the rate of change with kind of the browsers of technology starting to kind of change uh, how we fundamentally do things, I still think we're building towards like what this new future actually is and what the capability set and, and how everything's going to play out. So I feel like with that, it's still very much going to be reactionary uh, to, to many events that happen. And I don't yet feel that like that like the entire industry has like a plan or a, a direction or like a gold standard to where we're all headed. 
Um, I would, I wish we could, cause I think if we all take a step back, like ethically and think about consent and doing what's right and putting the ethics behind it, you can start to kind of curate that. Um, but at least from what I'm seeing, like I'll, uh, there's just not a lot of proactivity on that. Um, mm. what I would say. Yeah. I, 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 Your turn. my sentiments, you echo my sentiments. Exactly. I like to add to that. I think that. You know, there's so many diversions being thrown around, like red herrings. I think the privacy sandbox is a good example of how badly people are misinterpreting it and what its impact is on, you know, whatever we're working on. I still don't know like, what it means to this you day. See, but you still see like people talking about a cookie-less future. And every time that that happens, I feel like my, you know, my scalp is coming off because I have no more hair left to spare. So it's, I so, like, which it's just slowing us down, like all trying to figure out these technicalities that have absolutely nothing, nothing to do with our day-to-day -day work is just slowing us down. So we kind of, one thing that I've been really hoping to see with like the, you know, the generative AI revolution is people learning to ask questions again and learning to ask the right questions about that. And I, I'm, I hope that happens, but I'm not sure if it does. I think that's more like an, overall judgment over on industry rather than just about analytics. But I, I would kind of hope to see an increasing criticism, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, you, you bring up such a, a good point and this is where I'm starting to see, like, I think some of the dominoes come together. So campaign manager actually had some really interesting release notes. Uh, and there's also some ADH updates where effectively like in ads data hub, Google had a table of YouTube DV360, like all the, the different Google products merged against an ID. You could query against these tables. In 2024, they're going to start to separate these tables and limit your ability to kind of query against. But they're only doing that in the EU, not the US. And then additionally, like within Campaign Manager, they're actually removing the basically all the path to conversion and multi-channel funnel reports from the product. Mm. We've already seen some of that start to go away from GA4. They just took away all the attribution models and now we just have DDA. So going back to this privacy sandbox, like uh, a, a marketer, like a marketer, like I, they'll show up and say, what do we need? Well, we need to measure the effectiveness of display. Well, in the old world, like the only way to really do that is you have to look at view through conversions. Like if you're not accounting for view through or assisted conversions, like you're not able to measure display effectively. So once that third party cookie goes away, how do you measure an impression that leads to an outcome? And that's where like in that privacy sandbox proposal is this attribution API. But the mystery of it is like Google saying like, just use this privacy sandbox. Well, at the end of the day, like Google has to use it themselves too and somehow represent that within products like GA and Campaign Manager. And no, at least I don't really know necessarily how like all that's going to play out quite yet, right? And that's, that's where I feel like the article I was reading like last week about um, that uncertainty around the privacy sandbox yeah. and how this is going to work is why people are theorizing that the cookie delay might be punted uh, once more, uh, uh, I guess once more. How many times have we said that so far? <laughs> it's been it's been way too long. It's, but anyway, yeah. Every year they'll just say it's going to happen in two years' time. In two years, exactly. 
but like that, that simple example, like asking smart questions, like how do I measure display in 2024? I feel like there's not a lot of, of experts out there that are making it very easy to understand and, and curating that. And, and no one really knows. We're just kind of avoiding it or waiting to kind of see what happens. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you all would, would agree or disagree with that sentiment, but like, I feel like that's like a good type of question wrapped into the challenges that we're kind of talking about here. No, for sure. And I also was thinking like what I see from clients and I also work with enterprise clients, as you know, is that they they see and feel all these changes that are happening in the industry and they're becoming more hesitant to the value of having all these data points and they don't really understand what data does for them. So like besides us being more focused on asking better questions, we also have to be more capable of properly communicating the value of data and the value of investing in all these technologies and tools because they are seeing, you know, like they, they just see all the stuff like the actual end client, the CMO or the owner. They don't understand all this stuff for them. It's like, how do I use this to make better decisions? How do I why do I spend 200,000 per year on this tool? What does it bring me? So it's like. All of us, I see, and in this, specifically in the agency where I am, in the media and in the data team, I see that people actually want to know how is this going to translate into revenue. So, like, they're asking more and more of that question. So, like, we need to be ready to answer those questions as analysts, as measurement marketers, as technical marketers. So, I think all of these things that happened in 2023 with privacy, with G4, with UA, with Optimize, it just shows how unclear and uncertain things are for the digital analytics, you know, in the in the future. So, like, I think one thing that I see is that we need to invest, and me and Simon were talking about this a bit in the beginning, in the foundations. Like, actually understanding the foundations and transform our clients into, like, geniuses. Somebody said this in that Measure Summit, I really like this, but, like, actually helping them and educating them to understand, like, yeah, like, I know it's very weird right now. But we're there for you. And this is like, you know, the end goal. I don't know if you guys agree because I'm more like on the business side of stuff. But I do see this from clients, like the people that actually pay money for stuff. They, they just wonder, like, what's this value to me? Like, why? How is this translated to revenue? Yeah, but don't don't underestimate the capability for self-deception that that companies and especially the C-level has. Like it's it's let's stick our head in the sand. So if we feel like things are moving fast, which Technically, they're moving fast, but in like internet time, they're moving glacially slow. But I don't think that that's going to reverberate with the, like the average company running digital ads or <clears throat> doing digital marketing. I don't I like they're working still this stuff out for the next two, three years. And I don't think that, you know, GDPR has been in force for six years now. And there are still companies who are on, on like, you know, step zero with with that, like trying to be compliant. So I, I'm not... It's always exciting to think that maybe next year, maybe with these current innovations that we have, that we're going to see a shift that our industry will, will start bursting some of those bubbles and become smarter about what we do. But I'm just way too cynical to actually believe in that ever happening. At that point, like I just had a call last week about someone trying to do a GDPR workaround. Like it's exhausting. Yeah. Like I still, I still can't believe we're still having these conversations yeah. where we have to just embrace that it's different now and it's always going to be. And if you don't do this, like now there's actually punitive and reputational like damage uh, as yeah. a result. And the other part, which I was just thinking about, 
uh, as you were you were kind of uh, sharing was like the other part is I think we can also get a flavor of of where things are headed. So essentially, everything's is is going to be modeled or, or or heavily modeled. So you can already see that within a lot of what Meta and Google's doing, like within the platform. So like a lot of people don't realize like conversions in the product are are modeled by default when you use the DDA. It's not like uh, it's just the deterministic model. There's not only the model itself, but then there's like conversion lift and other sort of, of stuff going in there to try and restore and make things as, uh, as, as yeah. much as they were in the past. And we have the consent mode or behavioral modeling feature in GA4. And we're just going to continue to see more and more of that. And I think the importance there is like, you still need something else to like check. Like, I don't think it's a good idea to go all in and say, oh, we're just going to rely on Facebook and Google's kind of representation of it. You still need your own kind of way of doing and understanding things. And in addition, I I also feel like we're always going to have data sets that kind of uh, and use cases that are outside of anything to do with advertising. So mm-hmm. product might be a perfect example, right? You have a logged in type of experience and you simply want to improve that experience to users, figure out what content, what journeys, like what do you need to do to kind of make a better product? And with that, like having model data and all this other stuff doesn't really seem to apply or it's not needed. So you you have these like different kind of bifurcations and that's where kind of going back to like, how is this all going to play out? Like next year, are we done or are we ready? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't feel like any of this is 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 really settled. Yeah. Well, Charles, so are we gonna see from you in the next year more Adobe journey, customer journey content? Are you gonna help us, you know, get get the gist of it? Because I, I I do think I know there's a lot of people that are like in the Adobe community. I'm thinking about Jen, because and she always you know speaks about Adobe and um. Frederick, I think, uh, also, yeah, like, I can think yeah. about the two of them, but I don't see it, like, I, I, I don't see Adobe as being accessible to everyone, like, there's yeah, not... It's, it's an enterprise, it's the most expensive, right? So yeah. that's where, like, my hope beyond hopes is, like, there there was this place where every everything played well, like, a few years ago, right? You yeah. had you had Google, and Google, I think, did an amazing job at actually eroding a lot of business from Adobe, like... I, 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 I've never had more fun in my entire life than the explosion of GA360. I, I mean, being there, being able to sell it, like pitching against Adobe, like that was so fun. Um, but anyways, like playing forward, like Adobe's still relatively expensive and, and an SMB likely can't, yeah. can't really justify that. So we, we still need something else. And that's where like, I'm actually hoping more so maybe that like the Amplitudes and the PWIX and some of these other solutions will stop like, um, I guess, obsessing about everything within Google and start thinking about, again, just what makes most sense for everyone. And at the same time, I hope some of this pushes Google uh, uh, even more aggressively. Like that idea you had, Simo, of wouldn't it be cool if we could just stick something on top of BigQuery or a Google Cloud Storage bucket? Like what if we actually uh, took SGTM and started to make some of this happen? Or I'm confused by Looker Studio versus Looker. Like what if some of this started to come together and there was a more native like GA Looker type story? Like you could basically have some exciting stuff. And the other part is like this whole, this whole conversation about CDPs, like 
there's this CDP recipe that we've all been doing, the consumable CDP that we build on top of GCP, the new buzzword. Um, but what if that was more accessible or native, right? Like there's all this cool stuff that just seems like it's right there, but it's not at the same time. So yeah. that's, that's um, anyways, to your question, I am... Definitely took a little bit of a pause on uh, my we miss you. Google content uh, uh, buzz, doing more on Adobe, but I can't stay away from Google. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, we'll, we'll see. It's probably going to be more Adobe for a little bit. But you, you won't have time to write anything because you're taking all these SQL courses and everything on, on Simmer. So. That's true. Once I get that Black Friday uh, where I pay twice as much. Yeah. <laughs> Special deal just for you, my friend. You should make it so there's a scale where the closer it gets to the end, the more you pay. I like Ooh, that. That sounds really That's good. This is, cool. this is digital sales advice from the one and only Charles Farina. We're going to well, do that. Everyone who buys one, it makes the next one more expensive. Yeah, so you have to be an early adopter. Yes. That's really good that. advice. I'm going to steal that too for specific things. Well, Charles, thank you so much for coming. This is uh, this this was a great uh, chat. I'm happy that we finished this uh, season with you. And uh, for everyone listening right now, if you want to connect with Charles, you can find him on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And uh, I hope he will get back there and, you know, bless us with his uh, content. Because, I, you know, I messaged you. Like, I really miss you online. Like, I loved your content. I'm sorry, Tim. But I, I, really, I really like Charles' content. So I hope you can... It's a um, zero-sum game. Like, if you read Charles, you won't be reading my stuff anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I guess so. As we talked in the intro, we might not do the podcast together next yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we were just saying that Charles might be the straw that broke the camel's back. Like this is the end of our story. You're so you're such a contradictory figure. You're always like flaming stuff up. Oh, I'm just a troublemaker. You are. You are. It was an absolute. But it was an absolute pleasure to have yeah. you. We'll have you back. We'll have you back next season because there's going to be a next season. This wasn't such a disaster Yay. after all. Next, next, next ten, almost ten thousand downloads. Next yeah. time we can talk about how I got kicked out of a Google conference once. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's an interesting one, which I we'll don't know if I'm going to publish or not. That was controversial. We could talk about all the, st all the places we've been kicked out of. Uh, that's going to be a good episode. I like that. For yeah. Well, for everyone listening, we wish you happy holidays, whatever you're yes. celebrating. Thank you for tuning this whole year with us, and we'll see you next year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.